You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Welcome to Catholic Chicago. Welcome to Mission Matters Live, a program focused on a spirit of mission among the people of God in the Archdiocese of Chicago. My name is Megan Meal, and I'm the director of the Global Mission Office. Our engineers this morning are Brian and Mike. You're listening to WNDZ 750 AM, and this month we broadcast on the third Thursday of the month from 8 to 9 AM. And this month, I'm here with Sister Jacqueline Adabong, who is a sister of St. Therese of the Child Jesus in Buya, Cameroon, in Central Africa. She is currently here in Chicago, studying for a doctorate in clinical psychology at Adler University. She's also one of our Missionary Cooperation Plan speakers. In fact, she will be visiting two parishes later this month. Uh, She'll be at Saints Joseph and Francis Xavier in Wilmette on August 20th and 21st, and St. Alphonsus and St. Patrick Parish in Lamont on August 27th and 28th. So you can go and see her in person if you visit those parishes on that weekend. I asked her to join us today for our show because I would like to to have her share her story more widely. Uh, It's wonderful that those two parishes are going to get to hear from you, Sister Jackie, but we want more people to hear it. So I'm glad you were able to join us. I had the pleasure of sitting down with Sister Jackie myself uh, a couple weeks ago, and I learned a little bit about her journey, and it's amazing. So I wanted others to hear it. She's a wonderful example of passion for mission and following wherever the Spirit leads. So thank you for joining us, Sister Jackie, and welcome. Thank you, Megan. I'm delighted to have been invited to join you in this program. Wonderful. It's so great to have you. And it's, I mean, it's exciting that you're here in Chicago, although now we're doing all of our interviews for the most part virtually, but, um, but it's nice to know that you're in the area. It's wonderful. So um, let's learn a little bit more about you. Um, so please tell us about yourself. Where are you from? What's your story? Yes, I'm called Jackie Atabong. I'm a sister of St. Therese of the Child Jesus of Boya in Cameroon. Um, and I come from a family of five. I'm the youngest of a family of five. And I joined the sisters in 1986. Since then, I made my final profession. I'm now 33 years old as, as a reverend sister. And I've been serving in Cameroon in different capacities since then. 
And you are a uh, a nurse as well. Your skill. Yes, in a congregation, after your first profession, you are asked to go to school to learn something, mm-hmm. and I was asked to do nursing. So I have been a nurse since nineteen um, ninety four. And uh, while working as a nurse, I was also volunteering as uh, a social worker in the prisons and working with the poor. So that's what I've done for the most part until I came to the United States to study um, clinical psychology. Ah, I'm now at Adler University doing a doctorate program in clinical psychology. Psychology, yeah. Yeah, is there a relationship, do you think, between the clinical psychology and your nursing background? Have you been able to build on that? Yes, there is a very big uh, connection. Actually, I started working as a nurse, and I started working with people also who are in need. And I got to realize that lots of physical conditions are caused by psychological problems. People under stress develop high blood pressure. People under stress get themselves involved in crime. And so there's a big connection between our psychic and our physical health. So our mental and our physical health. So to me, I believe that it is important to be able to bring these two together. To me, it's a good fit. And I'm also taking some studies in a spiritual direction and spirituality. Because I think we are a person is whole. And you have, you have the spiritual part of your life, you have the physical part, and you have the psychological part. Yeah. And they all come together, intertwined, and to create whatever happens to the person. And sometimes we tend to separate them, but they're actually not separated because they are interwoven very um, tightly in the human person. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so and you've had many years of experience working with people where if you try to treat their physical, you realize, yeah, that their psychological hasn't really been, it needs haven't been met or their spiritual. Um, I can see that um, making a lot of sense. Do, do a number of your other sisters also work in these similar types of fields and ministries? Yes, um, we have sisters. We actually founded to raise the dignity of women to work with marginalized persons. And we do that through education, through a healthcare and socio-pastoral work. So we believe that, first of all, evangelization and liberation of persons comes through education. And especially from primary education, we begin, we believe that if you start training children as they grow up, you help them to build Um, their personality, and you help them to inculcate what they need that would support them in the future. And we believe that if parents are able to do this with their children, when they grow up, even if they they stray away, they will fall back to what they had learned. So we believe that the school and education is a means of evangelization. It's a very powerful means of evangelization. And that's why we're involved in that. We're also involved in um, healthcare. We do healthcare because we are continuing the work of Christ, who was a healer. Mm-hmm. And in the in healing people, we are continuing to spread the love of Christ. Yeah. And we do also socio-pastoral works. In socio-pastoral works, we work with poor, with marginalized persons. Mm-hmm. We work with persons who have difficulties in community, especially those who have been displaced in prisons, mm-hmm. um, street children. So in all of that, we are bringing... Christ through our actions to the people. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
empowering people, um, giving them the tools, giving them the opportunity to come to know Christ uh, in one another and in the sisters themselves. Is your sisters, um, is it a, a, a congregation that was founded in Cameroon? Is it like sort of a native a religious congregation that was founded and has developed in Cameroon? Yes, our congregation is a relatively young congregation that was developed, that was founded after Vatican II. We were founded in 1963. And uh, so we are post-Vatican and we are only in Cameroon. We are a diocesan congregation only in Cameroon. We don't have roots or uh, support from any persons out of Cameroon, mm. but we, we work with the people, we work with the local people and we serve the church in our area. Mm-hmm. But we look to moving outward where as the need comes, right? Oh, yeah. as the need presents itself. Right. And I, I, I will be hearing more about how you you yourself um, and I know your sisters as well are following where you are led and where that might um, be taking you into, into some new areas um, because the need is there. Uh, as you've shared yeah. about the clinical psychology. So um, you felt the, the need to go further in their studies, to have this um, experience in clinical psychology and the spiritual direction and spiritual care um, during this time here that you're in Chicago. And you are uh, researching. Um, I know you just recently visited Cameroon, right, to do some research to bring back um, for your final project. Is that correct? Correct. And what are the yes. areas you're focusing in? Yeah, so I went back to Cameroon to do my research on the prisons in Cameroon because I've been involved in the prisons for a very long time. I'm very passionate about working with the prisons. Actually, when I wanted to become a nun, when I had my vocation, I actually was inspired to work with the poor. And so when I got to the convent, I got involved. I The sisters introduced me to poor people. And uh, strange enough, I thought I wanted to work with the poor, but I didn't see them before going to the convent. It's while in the convent that I was introduced to work with poor people. And when I we are introduced to work in the prisons as novices, and when I got working in the prison as a novice, it really struck me that these people were poor, they were the last, they were the lost, they were the least in communities. Mm-hmm. And so I just got, I fell in love with them and I started working with them. Mm-hmm. And it's while working with the prisoners that I realized that they had so much needs. It was to me like a one-stop shop of what Christ has said. I was in prison, you visited me. I was naked, you clothed me. I was a stranger, you made me feel welcome. I was thirsty, you gave me to drink. I was hungry, you gave me to eat. To me, I found all of those like a one-stop shop in the prison. I was able to reach them and meet all those aspects which Christ is calling me as a Christian to serve. And while I was doing all of that, I realized that, you know, there were certain aspects of their lives which I could not approach because we gave them love, we gave them support, we gave them everything that would help them not to get back to prison, but we realized that they wouldn't want to work. Hmm. We realized that um, they were not, they didn't have the capacity to do certain things. And when we, I got talking with them, I noticed that they had personal issues. They had been traumatized so much. They had had so much difficulties in their lives. They've never learned to work because maybe they were just left on their own. To And so one of them told me, I tumbled up. I didn't grow up. I, so, mm-hmm. you know, they never had that opportunity for anybody to direct them right. to do whatever. Mm-hmm. So I realized that I didn't have the skills to be able to help them reach themselves, reach the needs that they had in themselves. And that is what prompted me to want to study clinical psychology, mm-hmm. to be able to help them break through the challenges in their own lives. Right. Att- uh, attend to the traumatic issues which they've had 
and lend them a hand so that we can pull them out of the depths in which they find themselves to have a better life. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And I can see how that also connects very well with what you were sharing about the whole person. Um, But it's time for our first break. So uh, we'll be back in just a moment to continue our conversation, God willing, with Sister Jackie. Stay tuned. Catholic Charities Refugee Resettlement Program has been especially busy this year, assisting individuals and families who have fled dangerous situations in their homeland, including Afghanistan and the Ukraine. The Refugee Resettlement Team helps with everything they need to start to rebuild their lives in a new country, including housing, employment, clothing, food, English classes, and referrals for legal and immigration services. The refugees are tremendously grateful for the compassion and practical help they're receiving, and they're giving back and helping each other plan for a brighter, safer future. Volunteer opportunities are currently available for those who would like to be family mentors and tutors so children and adults can practice English. To learn more about these rewarding opportunities, call 312-655-7096. That's 312-655-7096. People always say, how can you spend your day with three-year-olds? Seeing the changes that they go through and just the journey and how they grow, this is a very rewarding job. Even though at the end of the day, we're not the highest paid people on earth. And when I have a parent contact me and say, my child loves school, that to me, I'm setting that foundation for their love of learning. Because really, you are changing lives. You are molding lives. Shape the next generation of leaders. Teach. Apply today at artchicago.org slash schooljobs. Do you have an old bicycle that's not being used? Consider donating it to Catholic Charities Veterans Bike Project of Lake County. Skilled volunteers are refurbishing bicycles to make them safe and ready to be used by veterans to get to and from their new places of work. We also gratefully accept financial contributions that are used to purchase bike helmets and other safety accessories. Our veterans have faithfully served the United States and now it is our privilege to serve them. 
For more information on the Veterans Bike Project of Lake County, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. We are hiring. Catholic Charities of the Archdiocese of Chicago is looking for mission-driven individuals who want to help make a positive difference in the lives of people in need throughout Cook and Lake Counties. Be part of a diverse, talented team of professionals in the largest human services organization in the Midwest. We are dedicated to helping people chart a more stable, happier future for themselves, and we accompany anyone in need, regardless of faith, gender, race, or ethnicity. Competitive salaries and generous benefits add to the satisfaction you'll have every day knowing that you're helping us amplify our impact in Chicago. To see our list of employment opportunities, visit catholiccharities.net. Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office, and I'm here with Sister Jackie Adabong. I would love to have you um, tell our listeners, uh, we were talking before the break about um, your own background, your studies in clinical psychology here in Chicago, and you mentioned um, your ministries uh, as a nurse uh, in social work and in prison ministry. But I think it's important for our listeners to hear about what's going on in Cameroon right now. Cameroon, Cameroon, there's a current um, war. There's an uprising going on right now. Mm-hmm. And this uprising is a consequence of uh, colonialism in Cameroon, the effects of colonialism. Yes. Cameroon was uh, conquered by the Germans. And then later on, during the Second World War, by the, the French and the British joined together to conquer Cameroon, uh, the Germans. And so when the French and British conquered the Germans, they split Cameroon in two. Hmm. Hmm. 
Mm-hmm. A bigger portion, which now has 10 regions, was handed to the French, while the smaller region, which had two uh, sections, regions, was handed to the British. And the British attached this part of Cameroon to Nigeria. Mm-hmm. So the French part of Cameroon got independence in 1960, while the English part of Cameroon got independence in 1961. And when they got independence in 1961, the English part of Cameroon were given a choice, either to join the French Cameroon or to join Nigeria. Mm. The northern part of the English part of Cameroon joined Nigeria, while the southern part of the English part of Cameroon said they wanted to be independent, mm. but they were forced to join the French Cameroon. Right. So it became a federal state. Mm. And with two governments, we had their own, they had their own system, and the English part had its own system in a federal state. Mm. But then all was discovered in the English part of Cameroon, which is the richest part of the country, which produces over 60% of its, mm-hmm. um, its money, its uh, yeah, funds. Yeah. So when oil was discovered in this area, um, the, the, through the manipulation of the French, they said it should no longer be a federal state, it should be a united state. Yeah. And the voting was fake. There was only one vote. You could only vote yes. There was no possibility to vote a no. And so it became a united Republic of Cameroon, now with one president mm. and one state. And then recently... They went back to the original name, which is Republic of Cameroon, which means that the English part does not exist anymore. It's now Republic of Cameroon. And so the English part of Cameroon, the people started resisting and said, no, we have a culture, we have a British culture, we learned, we use the British law, we use the British system of education, and we have a different way of behaving. We want to keep our own culture. Mm -hmm. In the meantime, all the industries were destroyed, were made to fail, there was no... uh, army for the English part of Cameroon. And so the people started resisting and saying that, no, we want to be on our own, or at least respect our culture. We don't want to have the French culture. And when the people started marching and writing and marching, Mm. they were marching peacefully on the streets, and the government was heavy-handed on them. They came with armies, they came and started shooting at them and killed a lot of people. Mm. And when they did that, then the French English part of Cameroon, the people started fighting and said that, no, we are not going to join you, we are going to resist until the last man standing. Mm. And so now the the young people took arms, they were influenced by other uh, Cameroonians who were out of the country. They took to arms and started fighting with the French Cameroon, with the government. And this has been going on for the past six years. And with this, when the, when the uh, armed fighters started fighting the government, and they, when they defeat the army, then the army just goes in and burns down villages, burns down the houses of innocent people, burns their schools, burns hospitals. And so the English part of Cameroon, they said that there will be no school here if they're going to use the French system. So they stopped schools. And so the schools were not going on, and people were just in so much chaos that they all had to move. There was just a huge ma- uh, exodus, and people right. had to move. They moved out to get their children to go to school, right. to look for safety. And with that, they moved to quieter cities, which were, which were bigger cities. They didn't have homes. They didn't have schools. They don't have money. They've lost everything. And so that created a lot of problems. Mm. So you have girls who maybe live on the streets, people are living on the corridors of people's houses, they cannot afford to pay rent, they cannot afford to buy their own food or send their children to school. 
So lots of children have not gone to school for five to six years. Um, so just building a bedrock of illiteracy. You have girls who have gone into the cities and they cannot find a way to live. They go into prostitution. Some of them have been trafficked mm. by uh, women and teams to make money out of them. Children are hawking, working in people's farms, working in their houses like slaves or working, you know, and not being paid for what they are doing. Right. And so with all of this chaos, they were showing so many videos online on social media. And each time I was looking, watching them and the sisters were watching them, I would say, we cannot continue to just watch these girls suffer and do nothing. We right. all watch it and we feel bad and nobody is doing anything. Right. And so we decided that we have to do something. And that is how I came about uh, that foundation. I, I created this foundation, Support and Empowerment of Vulnerable Persons, mm-hmm. with the idea of raising funds to support these girls and women who have left their homes and cannot go back to school yeah. and don't have anything to do. And that is how we came about uh, offering them health care, sending them back to school, trying to get them off the streets mm-hmm. and helping them in any way we can. That, then that's you and your sisters together. You've been raising money through the SEV Foundation, but your sisters are, are running the home, right? There's like homes for these young women to live and um, and to have some kind of education, right? Is that correct? Yes. So with, with all of this now, we decided to rent a house. Mm-hmm. So we rented okay. a house where we could we brought in the girls who were on the streets and who were no longer going to school. Some of them had been raped. They became pregnant. They mm. came, so they came into our house. Yeah. And we tried to give them their basic needs, send them back to school, provide their needs, help their parents, especially those who, some of them are orphans. They don't, their, both parents have been killed. Some don't know right. where their parents are. Mm. And some of them, they, their parents are there, but they cannot send them to school because they don't have anything doing. They don't have a place to stay. So we rented this house where we put the girls and we are sending them to school. Some of the children, we still keep, leave them where they are because we don't have enough space. Mm. But we just try to support them with their school fees and their school needs to send them back to school. But we see it is, there are so many of them and the place is so small. Right. And so we are trying to build a shelter which could take more girls and that we'll be able to have more facilities to offer them because lots of them have been traumatized, have been raped, have seen their parents killed, have seen dead bodies on the streets, right. but they are not being helped. Right. So they are encasing all of that. And that is coming out in different ways. For instance, now they become so aggressive. You mm-hmm. know, they have thoughts of, you know, somebody does something to you and then you want to retaliate by killing the person yourself. Yeah, right. So, you know, like one time Defense. they said they were going to do something. Yeah. To hurt somebody else. And, you know, so it is all because of what they have seen. There's so much trauma in their life. Mm-hmm. And so they are looking for a way. And that is what, what prompted me to specialize on trauma. So that when I go back, we'll be able to help them to be able to deal with these things that they have seen. Mm-hmm. Lots of them can't even concentrate at school. Right. And some of them do concentrate very well at school. Yeah. So you have a mixture of all kinds of things, which we, we are trying to provide yeah. support for them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like, you know, it's one thing to provide a safe place for people to live, to if, you know, if their children to have enough to eat, to go to school, uh, these young women unfortunately, uh, you know, having giving birth to children, um, and have them 
you know, be in a place where they can live their lives in peace, even though they're nowhere near home and they, they don't know if they'd ever be able to return. But it's another to say, you know, let's try to find some healing and, um, and to be able to be, to, to build a life for themselves too and see a future. So uh, I can see the value of what um, you're talking about. Uh, this is very important ministry. Um, well, we're gonna take our next break um, but we'll be back in just a moment to talk more with Sister Jackie Adabong about the situation in Cameroon and ministry there. Thank you. Catholic Charities offers a wide variety of volunteer opportunities to those who want to share their time and help us serve people in need. Whether it's stocking the shelves of our food pantries, helping refugees learn the English language, tutoring school-aged children, becoming a mentor to young adults, sorting clothes in our clothing rooms, serving hot meals to those who are facing homelessness, or delivering meals and making cards to lift the spirits of our homebound seniors, we are deeply grateful to all those who want to join in our mission of mercy. Volunteer opportunities are updated weekly for people of all ages at ccofchicagovolunteer.com or just call us at 312-655-7053. That's 312-655-7053. Thank you for helping us follow Jesus' call to serve our neighbors in need. Welcome back. Es fabuloso verlos. Dobrze jest znowu być razem. It's good to be together again. After so many months apart, pandemic capacity limits have been lifted, and we want to welcome everyone back to church. We can all pray together again. And listen as our choirs lift their voices in song. We've been together in spirit. And now when you are ready, our doors are open wide. Nuestras puertas están abiertas de par en par. Nasze drzwi są otwarte. And we're here to welcome you back to Catholic Mass.
The cemetery ministry is a core ministry of our Catholic faith tied to the corporal works of mercy. It's comforting to know that our Catholic cemeteries are caring for the remains of our loved ones awaiting the resurrection. There are 44 Archdiocese of Chicago Catholic cemeteries willing to help you in your time of loss. Call 708-449-6100 or visit catholiccemeterychicago.org. Catholic Cemeteries, serving the Catholic community since 1837. You're listening to Catholic Chicago. Ahead, the Archdiocese of Chicago brings you programs about the people, events, and issues that touch our lives. Thanks for letting us be part of your morning. Now again, Catholic Chicago. Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office here in the Archdiocese of Chicago. And you're listening to WNDZ 750 AM. I'm here with Sister Jackie Adabong, who is a sister of St. Therese of the Child Jesus from Buya, Cameroon. And she's been talking with us this hour about her experience and her ministries in Cameroon. And uh, just before our last break, um, Sister Jackie was talking about the situation in Cameroon right now, that there's armed conflict and people who've been displaced within the country, and that her sisters have been providing some ministries to those uh, children who are on the street, young people um, who have suffered terrible traumas. And Sister Jackie uh, is hoping to be able to provide some ministries to those young people Um, through her studies here in Chicago in clinical uh, psychology. And and her sisters, of course, are providing some ministries already. Um, But in this segment, you know, you mentioned earlier, Sister Jackie, um, your interest, uh, especially with regard to your studies in um, prison ministry, ministering to those who are incarcerated in Cameroon. And uh, I know you shared this journey with me, the story about this journey with me, about how you got involved in this type of ministry. I'd just like to ask you to share that story. How did you get involved in prison ministry as a sister of St. Therese? Yes, again, thank you. Yeah, the prison ministry is a favorite piece of my life. And uh, like I said, I wanted to work with the poor when I got into the convent. That was one of the things I was I wanted to do. And when I got into the convent, the sisters introduced us to working in the prison as mm-hmm. novices. We go to the prison okay. and uh, for Sunday um, doctrine, to teach doctrine to prisoners. Mm-hmm. And I just found that they were very needy persons. And so I continued working with them. As a young sister, I joined St. Vincent de Paul that was going to the prison. Mm-hmm. And I, with them, I got more inspired to work with prisoners. Mm-hmm. And as I got working with the prisoners, I discovered that they were offering a lot more to me than I was offering to them because 
they changed my interaction with them, changed my view of life, yeah. made me to understand that, you know, people go through very challenging uh, experiences, and that is why sometimes they end up in prison. And this made me to feel that if I were in their shoes, maybe I would have been worse or done the same kind of thing like them. Mm. So while working with them, I met other people who were working in the prison, and they inspired me. And one of my friends uh, showed me what they were doing in their own prison. They were working, making bags. They were doing lots of creative activities, which I learned to do as well, to make rosaries, to make uh, jewelry, Mm -hmm. to make bags. Because when I went to the prison, I saw that they were just folding their arms and doing nothing for days and weeks and months. And I thought that that was really wasting their life. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a project to meet you, uh, Athens, and they offered it. And this was to get sewing machines for prisoners to work in the prison. So when I brought it first to my prison, because nothing like that had ever happened, I was told that those boys would break down the machines in one week, that they were arm robbers, they couldn't do that. Mm. And so I just wanted to do it, and I just decided to try and uh, I renovated a small piece of the prison, which was like a, a, an abandoned toilet. And uh, I renovated it and brought in the machines and brought in somebody to teach them. Mm. And I just took in some boys who who had long term to serve yeah. so that they would learn and they can teach to others. Mm. And so when we started working together, some I brought in somebody who taught them how to soak uh, uniforms, how to sew sportswear, ladies' underwear, and all those. And they learned how to do it well, and they started teaching other prisoners how to do that. And in one year, they could sew about 5,000 sportswear and underwear, which is supplied to school. Mm-hmm. So this brought them to become like a family, because every week we prayed together like a family, and it just brought such a change in their life. Yeah. With that also, because in our prisons, we don't have, it's not well organized. Yeah. We have nurses and doctors, but there's no medication. Hmm. So most of the prisoners, at least 20 of them died a month from starvation and illness when I just started working in the prison. Hmm. So as a nurse, I just decided to start going to the prison to offer my consultations. They I'll beg for money and buy medication and give to the prisoners. Yeah. <clears throat> so we did a, a triple health care. We provided medication, we provided food, and then we provided... Um, we, we provided activities which they could do. Okay. And so when we did this, and also hygiene, because lots of the prisoners could not even bathe because they didn't even have soap yeah. to bathe with. So with all of that now, the prisoners, their lives started changing. They said they found that there was somebody who could care for them, who came there every day to take care of them. And that started bringing change in the prison. Mm. Then at, a, at, at some point, because I was a nurse and working in the hospital, and I only came to the prison after work, Mm. So my congregation and the bishop asked me to choose one or the other. Right. To choose right. either the hospital or the prison that I couldn't do any the both of them. Yeah. So That's I prayed about it, reflected and chose to go to the prison because I saw that there was nobody else working in the prison as I was doing. Right. So when I went and started working in the prison, now full time I had all the time to consult them, to give them medication, to talk to them and I started listening to them. Mm. And when I started listening to them, then I realized that there was so many prisoners who kept on telling me that their term of imprisonment was over, they had served their sentence, and they were still in the prison. Hmm. And they had spent one, two, three, four years in the prison after their term of office sentence was over. I fully understand it. Wow. So I started 
taking down their names and all the information about them. Mm -hmm. And I went to the court, I went to see the state council, and I told him that this is what I have seen in the prison. And he said, it's not possible. So I started working with him now, and we discovered that it was true. Their term of office was over. The, the information was so disorganized. Uh. Information was not transmitted from the court to the prison. Mm. And when, even when they came to the prison, the documents got missing because the prisoners did not have files. Mm. There was just a total disorganization in the prison. Yeah. So that is when I got involved with prison reform. I started finding out what can I do. I would just get the information to the prison. I went to the court, told the state council. We looked for the documents. When they found it, I brought it back to the prison. And in the first year, I liberated 1,500 prisoners who had served their sentence and had nothing to do in the prison, oh. but they were still there. That's amazing. So now we continue to do that. And I started getting, uh, when I wrote my report, then some organizations found it, like the British Embassy, the Canadian Embassy, mm -hmm. and they got interested mm -hmm. in it, and they started supporting me now and sponsoring lawyers to help me get their cases done. Oh, yeah. Because there were some prisoners who had spent three, four years in the prison and had not gone to court. Because maybe a document was missing, mm -hmm. or somebody died in their case. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just total confusion. So with that now, we started working on these issues, and they... Uh, 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 to date, we have liberated more than 20,000 prisoners who did not, who have finished their sentence, were just living in the prison. Oh now I also discovered that the system, there was no system in the prison. Yeah. The prison system was gone. Mm. So I had to get files for the prisoners because prisoners did not have files in which to, where their documents could be kept. So the documents got missing. Mm -hmm. When the documents got missing, then they, it could not be found for them to be liberated. Mm. They did not have cabinets. So I had to look for funds now system. to make cabinets. Right. Oh my to make cabinets to get files for the prisoners. And then we even uh, got computers because they had no computers in the prison. Mm -hmm. All information was handwritten. Yeah. We worked and got a, a software now that they, so they had a software where prisoners' pictures were taken mm -hmm. and then written in the computer and they went there. When it is the day for them to leave, they can leave. It's, it's funny, because in the prison, because they did not have computers, they did not have pictures of the prisoners. Right. So one prisoner could leave the prison in the name of another person. Because if you say, Jackie, come forth, and I come, Completely. you don't know me because you have never seen me. I don't have any picture, any identification. Oh, my god. So sometimes lots of prisoners left the prison on other prisoners' names. Wow. So with the prison reform, we're able to get the software, get computers, take pictures of prisoners, uh, just even improve the offices of the warders because the yeah. prison staff were in very horrible conditions, working on very horrible conditions. Yeah. And when this worked out well, the organization that was sponsoring me said we should multiply that and do it in other prisons in Cameroon. So we did that in about 10 other prisons in Cameroon. Oh, and Sister Jackie. You have such an amazing story to share. Um, I, we'd like to hear more about it, but I think we're going to take our next break, and then we're going to come back and conclude our conversation with Sister Jackie. Um, it, it is amazing the work you do with uh, with prisoners, and I think that it is absolutely about human dignity and the most vulnerable. So thank you for that good work, and we're going to hear more about it in just a moment. moment. Stay tuned.
Ancestry and genealogy are more important every day. People all over the world are wanting to learn more about their family heritage for personal and for health reasons. At Catholic Charities, we are hearing from adults who lived for a brief time at St. Vincent's Orphanage, the wonderful, life-affirming agency that operated out of our headquarters for 91 years, serving thousands of women, children, and families until it closed in 1972. Our post-adoption services help adults who want to learn more about their experience at St. Vincent's. Our compassionate staff members provide whatever family background information they can offer, along with support and reunion services. To learn more, call 312-655-7093. That's 312-655-7093. The spirit of St. Vincent's lives on in the inspiring stories that continue to emerge today. myself going into any other school. Our school fosters growth by being a backbone to our family. My kids are incredibly well-rounded. I see a lot of kindness in them on a daily basis. One of the things I think Catholic schools do well is personalize the learning experience. You can hear joy in the classrooms. I feel that like I'm happy that I am in this kind of school. Our school communities provide students with academic excellence and character education in a supportive and stable learning environment. Come see for yourself. Visit artschicago.org slash findaschool. Do you have an old bicycle that's not being used? Consider donating it to Catholic Charities Veterans Bike Project of Lake County. Skilled volunteers are refurbishing bicycles to make them safe and ready to be used by veterans to get to and from their new places of work. We also gratefully accept financial contributions that are used to purchase bike helmets and other safety accessories. Our veterans have faithfully served the United States and now it is our privilege to serve them. For more information on the Veterans Bike Project of Lake County, call 847-782-4219. That's 847-782-4219. Welcome back to Mission Matters Live. I am Megan Mio, Director of the Global Mission Office, and I'm talking with Sister Jackie Adabong, missionary religious woman from Cameroon, who focuses her work on the people who are the most vulnerable in her home country. She's been telling us about uh, kind of a variety of ministries. In our last segment, we were hearing about ministry um, that has been really her her main focus and her passion, ministry with those who are imprisoned. Um, and what I was noticing about what you were saying, Sister Jackie, was that first you kind of started with the most immediate needs. You said, okay, um, these are people who need better health care. These are people who need uh, purpose in their lives. They need activities. They need things that occupy and, and challenge their minds. And then the deeper you got, the more, the bigger the, the project got. Um, and you got to the point where you were doing prison reform uh, and looking at the whole system and how disorganized it was. And um, 
how it really, I mean, I, I hope this is the right language here, but it really dehumanizes the people who are in that system. It, it, it just loses them altogether and completely. You said so many of them were dying in prison because they weren't being treated. Um, and I can see how that has really transformed your whole perspective on those who are most vulnerable. Um, the prison system is, is key, but you also mentioned earlier, of course, ministering with uh, children and young people who have been displaced, orphaned, um, been living on the street as a result of the war in Cameroon as well. These are certainly very vulnerable people. Um, and so I, I, I'm just struck by uh, all the different areas uh, that you have been uh, focusing in on as you're still studying too, clinical psychology and your hope to bring those skills back with you and the spiritual um, element too, back with you uh, once you've completed your degree. Uh, but you also mentioned, and I want to make sure we don't miss out talking a little bit about this too, the SEV Foundation, S-E-V, which uh, stands for, why don't you remind us what S-E-V stands for? Empowerment of Vulnerable Persons. Support and Empowerment of Vulnerable Persons, S-E-V. Uh, it's a foundation. It's a 501c3 charity here in the U.S. Uh, and you have a website, which I'm going to mention that right now, sevfoundation.org. So our listeners can go and look there to learn more about what uh, all the different things that you're supporting through this foundation. So that's no small feat to create a charity here in the U.S. Uh, alone. Um, knowing, of course, that there are great needs. And you mentioned your sisters um, are based in Cameroon. There's no other source of support outside of Cameroon. Um, tell us about the SEV Foundation and, and what it means to you. Yeah. Like I said, this foundation I it was founded in 2018 after I got to the United States because I when I got to the United States about um, two years after, mm-hmm. Oh, sorry. I got to the United States in 2015, and in 2016, the war started in Cameroon, Mm -hmm. and so much was going on, and, you know, we're all just watching it and doing nothing about it. So that's when I thought of founding this organization to raise funds to support our activities with prisoners and also especially with vulnerable persons, Uh particularly displaced persons from the war Mm -hmm. that is ongoing in Cameroon. And actually, it was very challenging at the beginning to start it because I came to the United States. I didn't know what it Sure. <laughs> starting an NGO. But I just got the inspiration one day when I was praying that you could do something about it. Even mm-hmm. if it is one person that you get off the streets, it is good. Mm-hmm. It's rather than doing nothing. Mm-hmm. So I started praying to Mother Teresa of Calcutta mm-hmm. and, I, uh, and Our Lady of the Streets. Madonna de la Strada, mm. because I was at Loyola and I saw that I used to pray to her. So I was praying to these two persons and to my mom, because my mother was very uh, much interested in working with women and liberating women. So I was praying to the three of them that, you know, if there is a way to help me, help these girls or help people in Cameroon, let me do this. Mm. And I just registered this 513 and it just went through. Mm. And then I started talking about these girls because i saw a video of some young girls who were in prostitution because they had been displaced Mm. and they were giving them next to nothing Mm. and i just got so disturbed by it i just said i can't stop i can't just watch this and not do anything so i talked to a few friends of mine and uh, they gave me one thousand two hundred dollars which i said okay i'm going to start sponsoring one or two girls Mm. 
get them off the street. That's what I said I was going to do. Mm-hmm. And on the fifth day of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, mm. I got a grant of $11,000. Okay. And I just believed that God wanted me to do something. So it, together with the $1,000 I got, it became $12,000. So I decided now that, okay, we could do something. Let's rent a house. Let's try to get these girls out of the streets and let's start a shelter. And so I contacted some of my co-workers in Cameroon. They started going out in the night to look for the girls mm-hmm. and, you know, try to talk to them to understand what was happening to them. And they started bringing them into our house. Yeah. And they, sometimes they'll go out in the night and they just see some of them sitting on the streets crying because they didn't know where to go to or what to do. Yeah. And they bring them Painting. in. And they, I can tell you that that is the only home we have like that is Cameroon in Douala. Mm-hmm. And when we got started there, so people started bringing the girls to us and we also started looking for some girls. Some of them couldn't stay there because of the way they had already been living, what they were used to. Mm-hmm. But, you know, we need, we also need the skills to be able to help them to stay in with us. Mm-hmm. But lots of them have come and they are back to school and they're so grateful that they're able to go back to school. And now we discover that we need to do more. We need a bigger house. And we need to make it self-reliant. We cannot always be asking for funds for people. So that is why we decided that, okay, somebody offered us a piece of land. And I I got somebody to draw a plan for me. And we want to move it to an area where we are going to teach the women to do things to help raise their own funds. And what we are planning to do is, while we send the girls to school and the children to school, (laughs) the women, we are going to help them to learn how to do practical things like having a poultry, running a fishery. Um, And then what we want to do is to recycle everything. The droppings from the poultry, we are going to use to make worms to feed the fish. And the water from the fish ponds, we are going to irrigate the soil for farming. And then we hope that we are going to also help the women to buy things, like a corporate, to buy things like rice. When it is cheap, and then sell it out when it is more expensive so that they can make money for themselves. Okay. We are hoping that we'll have a soap-making industry where the women will learn how to make soap and a bakery as well as a restaurant. Okay. In all of this, we are hoping that when the women learn the skills, we can either employ them in our place mm-hmm. or with the skills, we can give them some microfinance to be able to go and start up their own business. Right. So wow. we help women to... So we, we got a meal, rice meal for some of them. Yeah. So they, they buy rice and they meal it and we try to sell it for them mm-hmm. and give them the money and the proceeds. Mm-hmm. So we're just trying different ways to help the women to become self-reliant, especially Seems. as they have been displaced from their places where they were working their farms. They don't have any means of right. doing that anymore. So we want to provide them with a means of doing something. Mm-hmm. And we also believe that the women need to work, and because they have children, they're not able to work. So we need a daycare to be where they can keep their children. We take care of their children so that they can go out to work sure. and have some gainful employment. Right. Yeah, I mean, you're really thinking about people making a, li- a life for themselves. Um, I, I, I am impressed with this idea of sort of self-sufficiency as well. I think that um, when it comes to mission, it, it's important um, that that you know, sometimes we do need help, you know, in a crisis, in a, in a war-torn area, um, you do need that initial help, especially young women uh, and children on the street. 
But then there comes a point where um, people do also want to do for themselves. They want to take care of themselves. And so this is a way to really, uh, like you say, allow them to, to, to support their own families. This is amazing. Um, you know, we just have a minute left. So I want to ask you for a final word, Sister Jackie, a brief, very brief final word of um, all of this that you're doing, how you've managed to, to um, develop and, and come up with this, the SEV Foundation and all these ministries. You're nearing completion of your um, clinical psychology degree. Um, how, do you, how do you maintain this sense of trust and hope in the midst of all the challenges that you've seen? Well, I believe it's the grace of God. To me, it's the grace of God. It's God who inspires me. It's God who is giving me the grace to do it. And I just totally trust that he has done it in the past. Yeah. He's doing it now, and he'll do it in the future. Yes. I just trust that any inspiration that I'm getting come from him. And he who has given the inspiration will, get it, will make it uh, fruitful when the time is right. Right. All he needs is somebody who is available to do the work for him. And I am available. And I just hope that we'll get help, that some kind people will hear what we are talking about. Some kind people would be willing to join us to help and give life to those who have lost their lives. Absolutely. You know, Sister Jackie, you're such a special person. Um, but anybody can be like Sister Jackie if you follow where the Spirit is calling and you listen carefully. So go to that sevfoundation.org to learn more. Or you can go see Sister Jackie at her Mission Appeals out in Wilmette in Lamont. Go check her out later this month. Thank you so much for joining us, Sister Jackie. You have an amazing story, and I'm glad we could share it. Thank you so much, Megan, and thank you for giving me this opportunity to share my life, to share what I do, to share what I'm passionate about, and uh, I hope that we continue to keep the relationship going. Oh, absolutely. Thank you. Well, I remind our listeners to always uh, come back again next month for more Mission Matters Live, but in the meantime, always be on mission.